Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind and you know that grabbing a DiGiorno classic crust pizza can bring home the W. Because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno classic crust pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. and Smetty here. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to start up a podcast with your dad? Welcome to Golik and Smetty. I'm Jessica Spatana. He's Mike Golik Jr. We have a fill-in today for Mike Golik Sr. I hope he does a good job. We'll see which one does better after the end of the episode. I'll decide which Golik I'm going to keep. Mike, it's good to talk to you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I feel pretty confident in being able to go out here and best my dad in this at this point, who is somewhere in the middle of St. Louis, I think, right now with a van full of pugs and my mom and a bunch of potted plants. Yes. Okay, Mike, I met the pugs for the first time this weekend. I was in South Bend for the Notre Dame Clemson game. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Brian Kelly and LSU and Alabama and all the other crazy college football things that happened this weekend. We'll get to the playoffs. Maybe we'll do the cliche uh, football debate on the playoff teams thing. Will a three-loss te- three Alabama team get in? All of that jazz. We'll talk about the NFL, too, a little bit. But first, we need to talk about me meeting your pugs for the first time. I met Hank. I met Harry. And I met Ted, who is the most batshit insane dog that I've ever met in my entire life. Please explain to me why Ted is as crazy as Ted is. Yeah, that's office, lineba- office linebacker Ted Tate. That's uh, the persona that I'm convinced he's adopted right now. We also think he might be my grandfather reincarnate. They have a very similar (laughs) look, very similar vibe. Uh, So Papa, if you're listening through Ted, we miss you. Good to see you again. Um, But no, he's just a wild dude. He just loves too hard. That is the only thing Ted is, is guilty of. He is a sweet, simple little man. He does not know malice. He does not know greed. He does not know any vices all he knows is love. And because he's got a sawed off little bulldog tail, he can't wag his tail. So he just mm. wiggles his butt every time he sees you and he gets real low to the ground. Cause he's so excited. And then he turns that into launching himself headlong at you. Uh, like you and I talked about this off air. If Ted were playing college football, he would have the three targeting penalties racked oh up for the God. season. He would be, he would be suspended for a whole game. He would have yeah. no chance at staying on the field, but it would be well-intended. He would be a captain of your team, but he would be one that was wholly unreliable. <laughs> Absolutely. Ted kept like dive bombing at me and my boyfriend and, and your parents kept apologizing, which I always feel bad when dog people apologize for their dogs, because usually like I've had lots of dogs, some better behaved than others. And so I'm like, I'm okay with dogs jumping on me for the most part. Like I can handle it. I'm not like offended by other people's dogs. Some people can't, and I get that. And that's why, you know, I I get why people apologize when their dogs act crazy, but I was like, no, 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 this is totally fine. Like, don't worry about it. But then Ted kept launching with the crown of his helmet, like into my nose. And I was like, okay, I'm a little concerned right now that he might do some actual physical damage to my features. And I might have to sue your father or, his homeowner insurance uh, policy to get that fixed because he was just going straight for the nose and like straight for my head with his little snout. And it was, it was a little dangerous. He's kind of like a, like a bowling ball shaped dog. Yes. And yeah, I felt like a a very vulnerable pin. 
we call him the stone man because his body is like a slate gray color. And the only, the only good thing about him is they talk about hearing footsteps all the time is well, no, relative to this portion of the way Got Ted it. loves. Okay, I was is, just like, holy shit. No, the only good many, thing about this dog. <laughs> there are many good things about I love him so much. Ted's my little guy. And he gets I so like excited and wiggles cute. his butt for me. But when at least when he's coming to hit you, you can hear the footsteps. He is not mm. subtle. And so all you hear is like a Clydesdale. And then you have to get ready <laughs> and just sort of turn and shield yourself. It's literally like being a wide receiver catching a football over the middle with him. He also bit my kneecaps. Like he literally pulled yeah. a Dan Campbell and bit my kneecaps. And I was like, this dog should be on the Detroit Lions. What is, is happening? Is Ted the grittiest dog in the country right now? People <laughs> are might, saying. He, okay, so the other, your parents' other, I swear we'll talk about sports at some point, but your parents' other dogs are like two older pugs. And one of them, Hank, is so sweet. And Ted kept grabbing Hank by like his his fur and like getting like, like you know, like how pugs have like the rolls. Like he kept grabbing him by like his back roll and dragging him around the living room. And and everyone in, in this room is having like a great conversation and they're, they're chit chatting. And I'm just watching Ted drag this old man around the room. I'm like, is anyone going to stop him? What's happening? No, every once in a while, Hank will fight back. He kind of, Ted actually ends up keeping Hank young. He's like an 11 year old pug. His back, we say his rear suspension is a little blown out. His back <laughs> legs don't work super well yes, anymore. That is hundred percent right. Yeah. So he's doing his best. Ted's just, you know, he's keeping him young and on his toes and Hank loves the grass in South Bend. It's good and soft for his old joints. So he's living his best life out there. He loves being in the mix. Well, I love that. I had a, such a fun time in South Bend this weekend, but I know you were not able to go because you call college football games on the weekend. So tell me about if you were able to watch this Notre Dame Clemson game live. And if so, how you were able to do that while calling the NC state game that you were calling. So, yeah, so I call college games on radio for Learfield. Uh, shout out Sloan Martin, my play-by-play announcer, and the rest of our crew. Check us out. Uh, we're going to be this weekend down in Waco for the Kansas State-Baylor uh, uh, game. But um, we get updates from our studio guy, Kyle Schasberger. And so that's the only way I allow myself to consume Notre Dame games while I'm broadcasting because I have very quickly learned I am not responsible enough post playing for Notre Dame to watch games in public around other people. And I could say that because this weekend I was at NC state watching this game. And the last time I was at NC state, this was the second game we had called there. Notre Dame was playing BYU and same thing. I don't let myself watch in the booth during the game. I am totally locked in on the game. I'm calling. I'll get the updates from our studio guy and from my phone. We went down in the press box for halftime when Notre Dame was playing BYU. And I'm eating pot stickers and hot dogs, having a great time. Notre Dame's been winning. NC State's press box, by the way. Awesome food. They do a great job there. Great spread. Um, and I'm watching and I'm eating food, and they've got the games on the TVs in the press box. And Notre Dame throws an interception during that fourth quarter stretch where it was getting hairy against BYU. An involuntary reaction. I small slam on the table and yell, fuck. Right. Like I try to do it under my breath, but it's pretty loud. You hear my big, dumb voice. It carries. And all of a sudden, everyone in the press box is kind of looking over at me like, what's wrong with this dude? And I'm like to my crew, I'm like, all right, I got to go back upstairs. I am not responsible enough to do this. And so I watched via updates and just checking the score on my laptop, on my phone, and then watched the next day once victory was securely in hand. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we talked earlier about how Notre Dame fans always have like this, anticipation 
slash anxiety that something really terrible is going to happen. And like we got to experience that actually happen in the Fiesta Bowl a little bit where Oklahoma State came back from a huge lead in Marcus Freeman's first game. Uh, and so like it's not totally unfounded. Like a lot of weird bad things have happened in the Notre Dame football history and maybe it happens to every college football team but it does seem like as part of this fan base we're especially jaded so i was at the game with my boyfriend and i got a text from my mom at 10 11 p.m at this point in the game i think notre dame was already up 21 to 0 possibly 28 to 0 and she said i can't believe this but it's clemson they'll find a way to break our hearts and i shit you not like i i don't think it was statistically possible for Notre Dame to have lost at that point. And I, I remember texting someone who was like, yeah, I can't even put in a bed to a, a bet right now on DraftKings to like hedge the Clemson like win because it's just like statistically impossible. And I'm like, somehow my mom is watching this game somewhere and she's still like, yep, yeah, like we're going to lose. So I appreciate that we're all the same in that way. But Mike, I think it speaks to a larger point, which is that Notre Dame hasn't kicked ass like this against a ranked team, especially a top five team perhaps in most of our lifetimes can you can you remember a game that compares to this against a ranked team where they just blew them out of the water no 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 we uh we haven't done a ton of these like we got really good over the last decade at winning the games we were supposed to and blowing those teams out of the water but you know the big the big game Notre Dame thing had been a thing and while we can talk about this Clemson's team's place in the top of college football and how it already felt like it was on rocky ground. I compared them to the 2014 Florida State team that went to that first college football playoff that was really drafting on the success of the 2013 team that was an all-timer. All that being said, it's still high-profile game against a team with a ton of NFL talent, especially on the defense that they went up against, against a Notre Dame team that's been really hot and cold this season. So, yeah, no, I, I think this is pretty unprecedented as far as the last decade and maybe two decades of Notre Dame football. I think it's been uh, – It's. I think I read a statistic that the last – big win over a ranked team was in 1995 it was like Lou Holtz versus Southern Cal or something like that so I mean that, that like literally is over 27 years ago oh. um but I think I think it is so funny how this conversation almost immediately nationally turned from like Notre Dame played really well and did a good job to then like Clemson probably will lose to Louisville. They'll probably lose to Pitt or to Miami. And then they'll probably lose to South Carolina. And then Dabo will probably have to fire his entire staff and DJ will transfer. And it feels like that happened overnight. Am I just being like a cynical, like Homer who needs to listen to the haters and, and argue with them to feel validated or, or like what, you know, what's going on here with this Clemson conversation? Yeah. I mean, this is predictable and this is kind of what's always happened. I think we can say this is Notre Dame fans. We've watched this, but I will say I am also interested because I think we're going to have a similar conversation, not to the same extent, but I think there's going to be a conversation like that around this year's Alabama team. Like even coming off that win, LSU is going to get a ton of credit. People could talk about SEC bias. And I think there's some just credibility the SEC brings because of how long they've been on top of the sport. But everyone's starting to look and see through an extended lens, hey, this Alabama team just is not up to the standard of the last few years. And I think that's more of the Clemson-Alabama conversation that needs to be had is it's relative to their standard that these are down teams. I, I don't think 
some of those games, like I don't think Clemson's going to lose anywhere near Miami's a terrible football team this year. That's just the reality of it. <laughs> South Carolina's it a little hot and cold. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, Mike Ryan and everyone, they know the reality of this. Like whatever you want to talk about, it's a really bad football team right now. Getting blown out like that by this year's Florida state team in a rivalry game where everyone wanted to give them the wonky credit. That was a very easy minus seven and a half pick for me this past weekend. But <laughs> so like the, this Clemson team has some very real issues at quarterback, some very real decisions they're going to have to make there, but they've been trending up before that Syracuse game when things kind of regressed a little bit. So I, I think we're rightly going to ask questions about how legitimate they were as a four team. I would have had Michigan over them in the conversation last week in the college football playoff rankings, but this is kind of what happens. We are very used to this as Notre Dame fans. 100%. Also, there's like this phenomenon. So I mean, we, we always talk about how stupid like the AP poll preseason rankings are because they're based off of like vibes mostly like there's no way to really compare teams, especially like across conferences to one another before the season starts even now with like the transfer portal, like a lot of these guys are on teams for the first time and, and you just don't know what to expect from them. It's college football. There's no preseason but like there's always this phenomenon of like beating a team out of the playoffs and it actually being a detriment to your team. Like Notre Dame kind of did this, like I, BYU is a bad example. Cause then they went on to go on like a four game losing streak afterwards, but like Notre Dame beat BYU. And then that immediately was like, well, BYU sucks anyways. And so it's almost like, when can you make a fair assessment of resume and strength of schedule other than like week 12 or week 13. And if that's, the earlier that's the the only time where you can make that assessment knowing in hindsight what's happened throughout the season who's beaten who and who's lost who it takes out the element of like a game being after a bye week or a game being after a big loss a letdown game whatever any of those things so then it becomes very difficult to talk about and analyze which teams actually are worth a damn and which ones actually suck and so i find it like very funny that every week we have these like very uh very like this team is bad and they, this team lost because that team's actually bad and not because that team's good. We do this every week with, with college football and you're right. We're totally doing it this week with Alabama because Alabama has not had two losses this early in a season, probably in over 10 years. So what do we make of this Alabama and LSU game? Do we well, think that Brian Kelly is, is back like Stugat said in his weekend observations or does is Saban on the verge of retirement, which is another take that I keep hearing. So I, I, I do want to make one point because what you said about how hard it is to judge college football, that's been a traditional college football problem, right? Uneven schedules, the different conferences, the amount of teams, it's almost impossible to try and really do a comparative analysis of these teams. That's why I think the college football playoff committee has a really unenviable task because this is really hard to do. And a lot of that has to do with the secrecy of coaches around injuries. We get so many of these things like until there is a standard injury report, like there is in the NFL for college football, it's going to be harder to contextualize so many of these things because we get the information so late and it's so closely guarded and it's so murky that I think it makes it really hard to talk about that as appropriate context for these teams. That was context the committee was supposed to address, right? They were supposed to be able to see this team was down X, Y, and Z player when this game happened. And so we can judge it and treat it a little bit differently than the following game where all of a sudden they had the full allotment of those guys back. And so it, that makes it all really difficult to have these conversations. That being said, I think with the LSU and Alabama thing, I think that was a really good win for Brian Kelly's LSU team. I think Alex Kirshner wrote a really good article about 
how this LSU team is sort of representative of where college football is going. A transfer portal team who had to really overhaul a roster last year that played a bowl game with 39 scholarship players. It's a very different looking body of work. And because of that, you're seeing a team start to gel and figure out who it is a lot later in the season. That coincides with an Alabama team that just has not been able to do that with the players and the talent it's got on the roster this year. And so I do think that was a really good, important win for this LSU team because you look at the rest of the season – They had the big primetime loss against Florida State that I think informed a lot of people's perspective on them early. And then they got boat raced at home in a daytime game by Tennessee in a game that was never really close. So, yeah, I think that one is huge because for Brian Kelly, it was against a coach in Nick Saban, who he had not had a lot of success with back in his time at Notre Dame. And then for LSU, this is a team that have been building this thing slowly over the season. And so a moment like that, yeah, absolutely big, even if this year's Alabama's team is a bit below the standard. Yeah, and I think that that formula, I mean, there's a lot of ways to win in college football, right? And that formula, especially if that's how it has to play out when you are getting transfers from a lot of different places to kind of gel and like mesh together after a short off season, it does benefit you to have a, a more expanded playoff right because then you can get away with the yes. florida state embarrassing loss in the first game of the season and then still make a playoff and still make a conference championship and still be in in one of the lower seeds in the playoff mike um a lot of people were giving brian kelly tons of credit and like he obviously he should get credit for for winning the game like uh, we're we're both not you know oh we think he should go oh and 12 every year like he's fine whatever but he got a lot of credit for going for two at the end of the game. Did you notice the play that he called to go for two at the end of the game? Did it look familiar to you? Uh, yes. Did that bring back uh, shades of Notre Dame and Florida State? Is that the one you're thinking of? It did. It did. It brought back shades of Notre Dame and Florida State. And uh, it was a pick play. And he, I think he said after the game he knew they weren't going to call OPI on it. Um, so that's nice i guess maybe that's why he left notre dame but he was also getting credit for going for two and like making the aggressive call at the end of the game that didn't surprise me at all like that's been his mo for as long as i can remember at notre dame right like i'm thinking back to like 2015 clemson he went for two early in that game and didn't get it and then deshaun kaiser was like two yards short of the two-point conversion to tie it up at the end of the fourth quarter but but brian kelly always did that he's always kind of been that aggressive guy it's just that when you don't get the two points people don't talk about it as much afterwards versus yeah. when you do and you knock oh. off the number six team <laughs> it's the modern analytics problem right is people just result the shit out of it instead of looking right. and saying process wise is what you're doing decision making wise sound and i always think of it like i've and i'm sure god i'm sure my dad's brought this up we play a lot of blackjack and in blackjack aggressive moves being done consistently generally tend to be a way that you can give yourself a little statistical edge. So like the 16 hand in blackjack is one of those where you're supposed to have a strategy and you're supposed to do that consistently. Whereas, Hey, if the dealer's showing higher than you on 16, you either hit every time or you stay every time, but whatever your decision-making is in that process, be consistent because Mm -hmm. consistency over time is how you can give yourself a mathematic advantage. And if you're consistently aggressive in the spots where there's an opportunity to be, More often than not, it tends to give you a winning edge. We've seen that borne out college and pro, even though the math can be a little bit different. And that's my always, my thing is like, why don't people like aggressive football? That shit was fun as hell with Brian. Right? (laughs) Like nerds, tape grinders. You guys want less points? 
Right. <laughs> like we should want more exciting stuff like that. Who wants to get to that second overtime where it's running weird two point plays the nonstop back and forth. This is awesome. We should incentivize more people to do this stuff. It's objectively cool. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I also want, a, I, I have a question for you because you've called a TCU game this season before, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So TCU, the college football, the new rankings will be out by the time the show comes out. So people will know where they land in all of this, but TCU is one of those weird teams this season where they've been perfect record wise, but the committee is not giving them a ton of credit. They said last week that they're an imbalanced team. Whereas like, if you look at the team, they rank number one, Tennessee, one of the more imbalanced top top one teams in the country, I think, that we've seen in the playoffs for a while with their offense being like pretty great most of the time, but also their, their defense not being as great. So what do you make of, of TCU and the Big 12 and all of these big, crazy Big 12 games that you've uh, called this season? And do you think one of these teams will end up in the playoff? Um, I don't because I think TCU is going to lose this weekend to Texas. I think there's a very real chance that happens. I remember when we got done Saturday night. I was sitting talking to Sloan Martin, my, our play-by-play announcer after the game. And I said, I won't be shocked when Texas opens as a touchdown favorite over TCU. And sure enough, they opened as exactly a seven point favorite on DraftKings this week. And you go back and look even for TCU. So we had them come back win against Oklahoma state. It was at home. It was awesome. It's a really good team. And I think what you said about Tennessee is really informative about this, right? Tennessee has an offense that is an absolute game changer. Schematically, it doesn't do much, but that speed gives you a competitive advantage. And when you've got guys like Jalen Hyatt playing well, Hendon Hooker playing in the Heisman conversation level, it works. But you can't have one major flaw. And Tennessee on the back end of their defense had a like Michigan State level flaw from last year where it was so overwhelmingly the advantage that a Georgia team that hadn't been going deep on anybody all of a sudden had a bunch of opportunity to get big plays. The same thing I think is going to hold for TCU because they had one thing I think that was really a game changer on their team, and that was Quentin Johnston at wide receiver. Going to be a guy we're talking about as a day one wide out in the draft this spring. Should be skyrocketing up draft boards. 6'5", like 215, moves entirely too well for someone that big. He's a total field tilter on offense. Max Duggan, their quarterback, operates in a system where Lincoln Riley's younger brother, Garrett, has given them an advantage. They spread the ball around. They use that one great piece, but their quarterback to me is just fine. He's a good quarterback that statistically has gotten a bump from that offense. That's getting ready to go up against the Texas team that we've seen when Quinn Ewers is on the field is capable of going out and putting up some pretty big numbers defensively has played a bunch better this year. And so, yeah, I think that TCU is a very real upset contender this weekend on the road against Texas. And then if they lose everyone else in the big 12 is six and three right now, it might be one of the deepest conferences in college football, but once Spencer Sanders started getting hurt and banged up for Oklahoma state, that thing sputtered and died pretty quickly. Uh, Kansas was a great story early in the season. They ran into their own quarterback injury troubles in the middle of the season. And then on and on down the list, it's been a bunch of teams that I think are all bottlenecked at six and three right now. And that's not going to get you in this playoff. So yeah, it, if TCU they should be four in the playoff rankings that come out Tuesday night, and then I think they could very quickly be shown the door on that one this weekend. I would love for the Big 12 to have an expanded conference playoff this year because all of these teams have just like beaten up on each other all season. And like you said, there's like a number of good, pretty good six and three teams in the Big 12 that are fun to watch. And then TCU being the one that's 
gotten a little lucky at times. Like they've played a number of backup quarterbacks, right? So some of that is, is luck. Some of that is like they've just been able to, to finish games and play well. But it's, it's, I think that has been one of the biggest surprises to me of the season is how fun the Big 12 has been to watch because when Oklahoma isn't, you know, 12-0 and 0 and like beating everyone up and there's a little bit of a gap at the top there, it's very exciting. That league is so exciting oh. and I know you've gotten to call some crazy games for them. It's a blast. I'm going back down there this weekend. I mentioned I'm going for Baylor, Kansas State. Like I had the Oklahoma, Kansas State game where Adrian Martinez had his coming out party in a Kansas so State fun. uniform. It's been awesome. And I don't want to make the TCU commentary sound dismissive. It's just because Texas is such a live dog in this also. It's because the margins are so thin. This is a really deep conference. And they've just been the unfortunate beneficiary of badly timed injuries to the most important position on the field. Like every team that we mentioned, Texas, Kansas state, Kansas, Oklahoma state, they've all dealt with injury at the quarterback spot this season during important stretches that I think have been a part of why you had these teams wind up at the spot that they all are right now. So it's probably the deepest conference in college football. Maybe like, honestly, you look at them, the sec is certainly going to get talked about in this top end just because of everything that we've talked about. But the Big 12, the Pac-12 this year, all really deep conferences. It's really the Big 10 and the ACC that are super top-heavy, and the ACC doesn't really even have that to claim this year, even though North Carolina somehow only has one loss against us. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So North Carolina and Clemson more than likely – well, I think they actually both clinched this weekend, right? Clemson clinched the Atlantic right before the – okay. So they will be playing against each other in the ACC championship, which is like – it's a little funny that that's already decided at this point in the season because of how kind of crappy some of the, you know, back back of those games have been uh, in the bottom of the rankings. But Notre Dame has the transitive ACC championship win. Is that like a banner that you think they're going to hang up in the jack? Is that something that you put on one of the flag posts at the stadium? Like, what what do we do with the fact that the only losses Carolina and Clemson have had so far in clinching their uh, – their divisions has been against Notre Dame, a team that has lost to Marshall and Stanford at home. Yeah, I think it's a great point. So I think, I think we leave it like, obviously it's not going to make it anywhere in the stadium. I think we even leave it out of the Jack. I think we put it inside the new indoor facility because around <laughs> the new indoor, like it's just prominent enough to where when recruits come in, you see it up there and that inside Notre Dame's new indoor, they've got all around it, like the bowl champion, the bowl banner. So all the big time bowl games and their appearances in there, the years and stuff like that. And so I think you just slide it in on one of the banisters there. That way, the people who need to see it, see it and understand, Hey, been out here grinding in this ACC. I don't know if you've heard, but we don't want to make it too showy. So it ends up being like one of those Colts banners that gets me. Right. Yeah. You don't want it to be a Colts banner. Um, That's, that's a great point. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about about the Colts later, but before we change the subject, I think we need to just bask in this Notre Dame victory a little bit more. So you mentioned, you mentioned recruits. I think I read that there were 60 recruits at this game. This was a massive recruiting weekend for Notre Dame. If you're a recruit and you're, witnessing this huge upset big blow up by Notre Dame and then all the fans storm the field and you see like 50 year old Notre Dame fans jumping over brick walls to get onto the field and like tearing their ACLs are you like hey that's really cool or or are you like holy shit like this place is lawless what is going on at Notre Dame Stadium right now there's old people storming the field no, I think I think field storming is the flavor of college football right now. Shout out to the Kansas social media team for trolling um, Tennessee, saying no that gold was fund me needed. <laughs> 
no notes. They earned their money that day, but we've seen it happen everywhere. I, I think it's awesome. And I, I think it shows an energy because you know, this Notre Dame's fan base is not one that's been often lauded for being a raucous home environment. I mean, hell, I remember when I was there looking up in the gold seats in the stands where all the money sits and seeing some old man asleep during the third quarter of a game. <laughs> this has not always been a fan base that gets that reputation. And so I think seeing that kind of environment, if you're a prospective athlete, we've seen Notre Dame get up for some of these big games and to be around that environment to see that. No, hell no. If I saw some old guy going down on the field, dragging his walker there, I'm like, hell yeah, Gramps, let's get it. This is awesome. I love that you love old people storming the field. I do too. I, I did see some Notre Dame fans being like, that should just be a student thing. And then meanwhile, one of my friends who did not go to Notre Dame, who is not a Notre Dame fan, who just like happened to get invited to go to the, the game is posting on his Instagram story, like selfies from the field afterwards. And like, he's screaming, like he's like the biggest diehard fan. I was laughing really Aww. hard at that. I, I agree with you. I think it's, I think it's fun. Yeah. My section, like I was too high up to be able to get down onto the field and I've, I've been on the field before. So I was like, I don't really need to like risk it all to, to go do something I've, I've done before, but it wasn't a field storming. Like that, there hasn't been a field storming there at any game I've ever been to. So I was honestly like, are the ushers going to be okay with this? Like some of the ushers there can be a little stingy and, and not yeah. so, not well, so great with, with crowd craziness yeah yeah you know what it, it is a good point like i remember there was a field storming when we played utah my uh my true senior year at notre dame because yeah. we beat a ranked team for the first time and i don't know how long and <laughs> everyone just kind of needed that but it's a great point you make don't gatekeep fun anybody I if agree. you're there and you want to storm the field great if you're a team that hasn't experienced success in a long time and you're going bowling for the first time since 2008, like Kansas storm the shit out of that field, have fun. Life is short. This is college freaking football. It's supposed to be about the atmosphere and all the fun side shit. So we forget that sometimes the football is just sort of mad in the middle of it. Enjoy all that stuff. Don't stop people from going on the field. It's a ton of fun. Yeah. Just don't be mean to like opposing players or anything like that. Oh too. yeah. You know what? Fuck that kid that's, that was that out there double weird. birding the right tackle from Clemson. You're a loser. <laughs> Going out there and dog walking someone that if the rules were equal could beat the ever-loving shit out of you, that's loser behavior. Leave the opposing team alone. Go celebrate with your friends. Strong words from Gojo. I, wow. That was it's that's I, to... I'm with you though. I was just like I saw that picture. It was it was a Notre Dame fan like flipping off a Clemson fan on the field. And I was like, okay, we like they are they lost by like several touchdowns. Like let's just everyone ignore the Clemson fan Clemson players leaving the field. Just to, they have to go up a tiny little tunnel into a tiny little locker room, single file. That's humiliating enough as it is. And you know what? I, I should soften my language a bit because obviously it was probably a college kid. And Lord knows as a college fan, I used to go watch the cross games and heckle opposing teams in a way that now I look back on as pretty <laughs> shitty. So I'll, I'll say this, whoever that was, you're not a loser. I don't hate you, but I need you to just leave. Like I have a big problem with the way that people treat players in any avenue because they act like there's some force field that just makes them safe right. from any possible thing like after a hotly contested game where that team was pissed off dude's lucky nothing happened and the player would have gotten in trouble for it for making it something especially because it wasn't physical but it doesn't need to be that antagonistic in that environment we don't need to do that to people that are just finished fighting their asses off trying to make that happen leave them alone go make it about our team go make it about our fun don't try and be the cool guy that has that picture and tries to make it your profile picture from here on out there's nothing cool about that there's nothing sweet about that 
that kid's probably like, yeah, but I got a shit ton of likes on my picture, so. Oh, it's 100% clout chasing. <laughs> like, that guy probably has supreme everything back in his room. It's just enough. Well, Mike, I had a great time at Notre Dame Stadium. Some would say maybe the best time I have ever had there and will ever have there. Um, I'm sad that you didn't get to experience it. I think your parents probably did. I'm, I'm assuming they stayed for the full game and didn't leave at halftime this time. Nope. Um, I, your dad did not no, storm the they, field. They definitely left at halftime. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> they, they, they did because they felt bad that Ted was at home in his cage. He's not responsible enough oh, to be out as you've Ted. seen. And so they had to go let Teddy out and hang out with him because no, normally my parents do leave. My mom was conflicted. They were having a great time. They knew that this was pl- probably going to be the outcome, especially at the point that they left, but they've got responsibilities as dog parents. And so they went home to take care of Wiggly Ted. Well, that's amazing. So I I was staying at your parents' house this weekend and we got home probably at like 30 minutes after the game ended, pitch black, no dogs in sight, no parents in sight. The next morning we got up to go drive back to O'Hare for our flight. Parents still weren't awake. Dogs still weren't awake. Didn't even see your dad. We just left. I think he was asleep the entire time. I didn't realize you guys were staying with them until that night after the game. I get a text from you that just says, do you know what the Wi-Fi password is at the house? You, Mike, you saved my life, actually, because when we were... So, for some reason, like, Notre Dame does not get cell reception anymore in the in the tailgate lots. And, like, we were walking out of the stadium through the parking lot to your parents' house. And we get to your parents' house, and my cellular, like, signal had not found the tower yet. And so, I was just sitting at your parents' house, and I was like... I want to watch this USC Cal game. I want to post my pictures. I had a video of like the fans storming the field. Nothing would upload. I couldn't get texts. And I was like, Mike is asleep. Your mom's asleep. The dogs are asleep. I don't know where the, like, I just need to find a Wi-Fi password. And I was like looking at the, the network and I was like, maybe it's like go Irish one, two, three, or something like that. Or like, Notre Dame forever, like the alma mater. I'm like thinking of the most obvious passwords and then you text me the password. It is the most obvious that I should have been able to guess it. Um, and it, it connected and finally I was able to use my phone, which like Levitar show fans know I'm addicted to social media, so I can't not be online. Um, but it legitimately saved my evening because I don't know if I would have been able to like check into my flight and like go to sleep soundly without knowing what the hell I'm supposed to do the next morning without the Wi-Fi password. So thank you for that. No, hey, listen, as someone who's been in a lot of different college football towns this fall, it is the one scourge of game day is if you are not connected to Wi-Fi, doing anything. And it's not even just an addiction to social media. Like, I'll shoot you some bail. Like you said, it's a bunch of very necessary stuff about just moving in the modern world that you need your cell phone and you need reception for at this point, rides and checking in and everything else. So I'm totally with you. It's hard out here. It was terrible, but thank God you were awake and you texted me the Wi-Fi password and it, it saved my evening. Um, Mike, we want to talk about a little a little bit about the NFL before you go. Your dad's good buddy, Frank Reich, who's who's been on God Bless Football many times. Uh, unfortunately, he was let go from the team this week. Uh, I don't know if he will be making any more God Bless Football appearances the rest of the season. I think the curse finally got him, but... There was big news from the Colts, which is that they announced their interim head coach would be Jeff Saturday. What do you make of this interim head coaching hire? And what do you make of Frank Wright getting fired in the middle of the season like this? Um, 
I think the decision-making for the Colts is rightly being called into question early and often. Like we're not that far removed from Jim Ursay being somewhat of a hero for speaking out against Daniel Snyder at the NFL owners meetings. And a lot of people looking at that as a huge pivotal moment in getting one of the worst owners in football out from under his team by calling it out publicly like that. And then we've seen in subsequent weeks, Matt Ryan benched in favor of Sam Ellinger. We've seen their offensive coordinator fired. And now this, and to hear Jeff Saturday talking about it, like I worked with Jeff at ESPN. I grew up looking up to Jeff Saturday. So getting to like text him and be someone knows was really awesome for me. He's an exemplary teammate. He's an awesome man. And he's got a bunch of character traits that could and should make someone successful in being a leader of men and whatever avenue that is. But you even heard him in the press conference said that this was something that happened over the course of 12 hours, that he was stunned. <laughs> he got the call. And then you hear Jim Ursay at the press conference and nothing makes sense. Like I said on our podcast the other day, he sounded like Tommy Boy doing the butcher's joke in that movie. Yeah, I could get a good look at a T-bone steak by sticking my head up a bull's ass, but I'd rather take the butcher's word for it. He was like Tommy messing Thanks that up. Thanks for saying the joke because I totally did not catch that reference. Oh yeah. So in, in the scene where they're in the office, him and Richard trying to sell the brake pads, he does the part got where he's it. like, no, it's gotta be your bull. And he keeps fucking up the joke. And that felt like how everything Jim Mersey said in that press conference was going. He was saying that he was glad that Jeff Saturday didn't have any experience, but then still said he's more than qualified for this job. He doesn't have the fear that other coaches have that make them turn to stuff like analytics. It was so chaotic that if you are, any coaching candidate with any sort of tenure in the NFL, especially if you're a minority coaching candidate, because we know how difficult it is for minority candidates to get opportunities like this. You got a window into the process from an owner about what this was a knee jerk. Like, Hey, I'm going to call my friend and do this. And it's not to disparage Jeff Saturday at all. I'm rooting for Jeff in this, but it's to say, the process has always been something that people have been concerned about when it comes to making these moves in the NFL. And you just got a window into the type of cronyism that's always been under the microscope in the national football league. 100%. I mean, there was like, even before the Brian Flores lawsuit, before the Sean Payton tampering allegations with Stephen Ross, there was this rumor that uh, Jim Harbaugh was going to be the new Miami Dolphins head coach. Do you remember this last winter? Oh, yeah. And that was, I mean, this obviously happened with the Raiders and John Gruden also, but there was immediate outcry about like the Rooney rule and, and the Rooney rule, I don't think applies to interim head coaches. This is like a temporary position and there's no indication that Jeff Saturday will be the official head coach next season, but there's always these, these rumors of like, well, this guy might be the next head coach because this owner likes him. And it's like, well, is it real? Is that really like. Is that really all it comes down to? And yes, most of the time, a lot of the time, I should say, it really does just seem like if you know one of these NFL owners or GMs and you have a tight relationship with him, like that might be all it, all it is. Like qualifications be damned. Jim Harbaugh obviously is, is, has been an NFL coach, has been a college football coach. He's very qualified. John Gruden also, I, I think you could say, was qualified for that position. But you're more likely to be buddies with one of these guys and, and get one of these jobs kind of out of nowhere, out of the sky. If you're a guy that they view as their friend that is looks like them and that they can, you know, feel like they're friends with and that they trust. And that first, for a lot of reasons, tends to just be white candidates. And so it is a huge problem for the NFL that, you know, I, I think like you said, Jeff Saturday seems like a great guy. I've watched him on TV for years, watched him play. 
this is not anything personal with him, but I think for the NFL, it does seem to send a message that like cronyism, nepotism, all of these isms that tend to benefit white candidates still very much alive and well, even amid a, a lawsuit that kind of rocked everyone's worlds less than a year ago. Yeah, it, it, it was really amazing because I, I wanted to so badly. And part of this, I, I have to admit up front, is because I wanted to hear it out because I know Jeff and I wanted to go, all right, maybe there's a, a reason behind all of this, right? Like I saw Bamani Jones tweeting about it. This is not a good situation for a head coach to be walking in. This team's going to Definitely be really not. bad down the stretch. So bad yeah. that people are wondering if this is an open attempt at tanking the rest of the season to ensure that you get the kind of draft capital that would erase the quarterback problems that you've had going back since Andrew Luck's retirement. But in hoping that we would get some sort of explanation of, you know, we understand we've got a bunch of candidates in house. We want to be able to like, you know, hypothetically, we want to be able to evaluate them without the win loss record for the rest of the season being some sort of stain publicly on the way that they'd be perceived. Right. Cause you could argue, Hey, if you put a candidate there and this team bottoms out for the rest of the year, fan base is going to be like, well, why the hell would we want to hire them? There were no signs of X, Y, or Z on this team even if we think they're a good candidate. It could be, hey, we don't want to move anyone out of their current positions. We want to be able to evaluate these people doing the jobs that we see them do around here in the most comfortable outcome. Any number of things. And maybe none of those things make sense. Maybe they do. But no, we didn't get any of that. We got open defiance at the notion that this should be a hire that was challenged in any way. It seemed like Jim Ursay was just shooting from the hip the entire time. I mean, shit. Jeff Saturday looked like he was surprised by some of the things that were coming out of Jim Mercer's mouth during that press conference. And so I think it's my disappointment lies in the process because it doesn't appear that there was much of one as this decision was being made. And that's got to be so disheartening for people that have given their lives to this profession over and over again, going through what we all know is an arduous process only to see that, all right, you're going off the whims of 31 billionaires and whatever they feel like doing on a given day. Yeah, I think it's also it's a tough pill to swallow for for fans too when your ownership group or your GMs or whoever are making decisions that you are just like why are we doing that? Like how am I supposed to continue to like root for this? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, like granted, if if Jeff Saturday and the Colts are able to pull off an upset here down the road, being a Colts fan is going to feel great for like 30 minutes to till you remember all of the hype before the season started when you got Matt Ryan and and thought like, you know, this could be another team that makes a playoff run. But I actually thought like Frank Reich in general with the Colts did a pretty decent job for what the roster was. And, and so firing him midway through the season, I think, yeah, they've had a really disappointing year. And yeah, Matt Ryan, he's an aging veteran quarterback. You kind of knew what you were signing up for. But this to me was a little shocking and the, and the replacement for him even more shocking. Yeah, it was... It, that part of it too, I, I think we talk about decision-making and process in this. The one thing that's become abundantly clear, and who would have thunk it, that playing musical chairs with the most important position at quarterback with aging veterans or bargain bin reclamation projects wouldn't be a workable strategy. It banks so much on an offensive line that now has just been a complete, you know, let down relative to its standard from the last couple of years. And you're right, a bet on a style of quarterback play that we're seeing less and less, like, aging pocket passers sitting behind. Mm -hmm. Look at the Los Angeles Rams and Matthew Stafford right now. That O-line's broken down and you don't have a quarterback that can bail you out with your legs. And that mm -hmm. offense is really, really regressed after a Super Bowl season. And so, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in there that wasn't really all Frank Reich's fault. And you look more at systemic, again, you look up in most of these organizations. And when things go really wrong, a lot of that can do with the decision-making up top. 
Well, one thing that didn't go wrong this weekend was Notre Dame beating Clemson. So, Mike, before I let you go from this special edition of Golic Jr. and Smetty, what, what are our final thoughts on, on what we think we're, will happen the rest of this college football season with Notre Dame, with Clemson, maybe the, you know, your predictions on the playoff picture. People will obviously know the rankings by now, but where do we go from here for Notre Dame fans? Yeah. Uh, so for Notre Dame fans, I think I'm more interested in the next two weeks than I am the USC game because Notre Dame. I proven, agree with you on that. Notre Dame's yes. proven they can get up for the ranked teams on their schedule. And when they're playing a very good team, they match that intensity really well. You look at every ranked opponent they've had Ohio state. They played better than most people would have expected. And most people thought they had any right to, they beat BYU when they were ranked, they beat Syracuse when they were ranked. They just did that to USC they're or to do that to Clemson. They're going to be up for the USC game. I'm not worried about that. I want to see, can you be mature enough to go out after that win and handle a Navy team that while they not are, are not the normal team that we've seen in the last couple of years for Navy have been a bit rough triple option team that presents a unique challenge and requires a lot of your attention. I can t speak from experience. Service Academy weeks are totally different. You don't get to practice your stuff. Normally everyone's out of their comfort zone, players and coaches included Coaching staffs are usually spending time in the summer getting ready for those things because it's so abnormal having a plan for what they do. Boston College, been a bad football team this year. Coming in on senior day where you've got all the emotion that goes along with that. There's some situations that a football team that at times has been inconsistent as far as not like the maturity of leadership, but the maturity of how they display that. Being able to go out and say, we're not going to sleep at the wheel because Stanford and Marshall are walking into the stadium. I'm way more interested to watch how this team responds now. And if the recent number of weeks and seeing this kind of success has shown them, all right, we know how we have to approach this now because we've seen if we come out here with anything less than our best, one of these teams can beat us. I totally agree with that. I think it takes a lot of pressure off of the last three games of the season to have this Clemson win too. You still have to beat Navy and Boston College. I mean, there's no question about that. Notre Dame's going to be favored by a lot in both games. Boston College lost to freaking UConn this year. Like, it, there just is no question. But, you know, this team lost to one of the worst Power 5 teams in Stanford at home yeah. in primetime less than a month ago. So, yeah, there is a definite fear that you can lose one of those. But I think it takes a lot less pressure off the Southern Cal game. Because if Southern Cal's, they're going to be probably ranked pretty high unless, you know, they lose one of these games down the stretch too, which they might because that is a team that is doing very well but has some major limitations. But it takes a lot of pressure off of that because you can still finish, you're, you're bowl eligible now, you can still finish on a high note. I mean, losing on the road at Southern Cal will be a disappointment, but it won't be a disappointment at the magnitude of like we're 6-6 six and six going to the – whatever bowl. I don't even know which bowl that makes Notre Dame eligible for the ACC bowl tie-ins, by the way, incredibly confusing. If anyone knows the way to figure that out, please DM me. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I just think it yeah. takes a lot of pressure off of, off of that last game. It does. It, it does. I, I, I think again, the measuring stick for this season changed after the Marshall loss, this Clemson win was a really nice surprise. And for what you mentioned, recruiting all those things, it's a great momentum builder going into the back half of the season and the off season for a team that's going to have decisions at quarterback to make all the things that we know are still issues on that Notre Dame roster. You mentioned the rest of college football. George's world now, right? Yeah. Like we live, we live in a Kirby smart and Georgia dominated world. Jess, I'll never forget. It was, I think it was the year after 
they played Alabama in the national title game and lost to the Tua game that they played Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl. I want to say it was in between Mm -hmm. that national title appearance and their ultimate national championship win last year. And it was the first time I called the Georgia game. And I was going through the depth chart and you get the game notes for all these teams and you see the depth chart and you're reading up on everyone's background. And you went through three deep at every position and it's former top 10 player at this position, former five-star at this position, such and such player of the year. The depth of talent there is unlike any place in the country right now. Kirby Smart has a fucking machine built Mm -hmm. there. And we got a reminder of that big time on Saturday night against that Tennessee team. Like, you're going to really have to go out there and earn that thing against them. And as much as it looked like they were playing with their food at points during the season, they're learning some of the lessons that the Nick Saban big bad last two decades of college football teams learned like, Hey, you're the hunted all the time. Now you're getting everyone's best stuff all the time now. And you got to be ready for that. But on the high end of it, again, being ready for those games, they're, they're just built different right now. They lost one of their best defensive players before that game in Nolan Smith, and it did not matter. They came out and absolutely steamrolled. So it, it's them against the world at this point. I think the biggest beneficiary of what's happened so far is going to be the back, the Pac-12. We're going to walk down the end of the season. USC and UCLA are going to play two one-loss Pac-12 teams. Oregon looks like they had a Heisman Trophy contender at quarterback and a team that could also... Never thought you would say that before the season started. I said Bo Nix is like nuclear energy. When you weaponize him in the right <laughs> ways, you can power entire cities, and it's incredible. Oh, that's so that's so accurate. It's 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 been incredible. And but so like, is Bo Nix this year. Yeah, he's he's been awesome. And so that conference switching to the format they have this year, where the conference yeah. championship is not going to be north versus south, but just the top two teams, means that you're going to potentially have two ranked teams with one loss vying for a Pac-12 title in that 13th data point in that weekend where all the committee watches together. And so this is the Pac-12's best chance, and I don't know how long. The quiet part, though, is it'd be better for them to have USC win. Like as much as that would suck for Pac-12 fans, when you look at their resume and what would potentially help them, obviously subconscious bias, the USC brand is something that I think everyone's pretty bought into. But if they were to get to that Pac-12 title game, they would have beaten UCLA, who's going to be a top 10 team. They would have beaten Oregon, who's going to be a top 10 team. And their loss is much better looking than Oregon's, who got boat raced by Georgia in that first week. USC lost to a Utah team that's going to be top 15 on the road in a very close, hotly contested game that had plenty of officiating woes in that, like plenty of things you can point to and kind of what about a way that would by far give the Pac-12 the best resume for a team if you're battling with some fringe back end uh, like SEC teams and stuff. So it sucks because they're leaving to go to the Big Ten, but they're their best chance. I think that's fair. I would also say the committee doesn't really penalize early season losses as much as mid-season losses. So like the Oregon loss to Georgia being week one, I think really helps them, even though, like you said, they got boat raced and it was like, holy shit, Oregon is going to suck this year. And now all of a sudden they're eight and one and might make it to the Pac-12 championship and potentially be fighting for a playoff spot. I do think that it benefits them that that was a week one matchup. And I don't know. I, I think I would prefer to see Oregon in the playoff because I think that Bo Nix's whole kind of career trajectory would be fun. I mean, like, look, USC's got Caleb Williams too. He's a Heisman front runner right now. He's probably going to be playing for a Heisman finalist spot the last three weeks of the season and and balling out. But 
I don't know. Oregon would be really fun to watch in that spot after they lost their coach last year and transitive win for Georgia. I think also if, if Oregon makes it because they've got Georgia's former defensive coordinator. So that is, that is true. Did you see last week, the Bo Nix behind the back pass attempt in the game? Like, I'm just like, what are, what are, it's like, it's amazing. Mike, I'm like, why did Notre Dame not get him as a transfer? That's my, my question. Oh. I, I love I love watching him so much because even as everything's going well, every once in a while he's still got to remind you, I really don't give a shit. I'll yeah, do right. it. He's Yolo he's ball. that goofy meme. I'll fucking do it. I'll do yeah, it right. again. Exactly. I don't know. I think it's gonna be. I think November is especially like in the Pac-12. It's gonna be fun to watch down the stretch. Um, I still think Georgia is going to be the team to beat. I still think I'd prefer, even though like Georgia fans and SEC fans are like, yeah, well, Georgia Georgia fans aren't going to know what to do with themselves if they win two national championships in a oh. row. And I think that that's accurate. But also, do we really trust Ohio State fans or Michigan fans with a national championship? I don't think we do. I don't think we can trust any of them. The only that- re- the only remaining teams after Alabama losing, that's the only fan base I trust winning a national championship. That they're not going to do some absolutely wild, insane shit because they've been there before all the rest of these teams wild cards have you seen the ohio message board geniuses is one of my favorite twitter accounts to follow (laughs) and the ohio state message board meltdowns going on during the northwestern game this past weekend were incredible i i mean they're going to be the number two right like number two or three ranked team in the country when this podcast comes out and they've got people that wanted to fire ryan day during that northwestern windstorm it was incredible look 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 I get it. I was in Chicago that morning and the wind was absolutely, I, w- I asked one of my friends, I was like, is it possible that there can be a hurricane over Lake Michigan? Because it feels like hurricane force winds. I get that they were probably not anticipating a game plan that needed to account for that plus rain. It was sheer hell. And that is why Northwestern football should be banned. You should not allow <laughs> to be playing football that close to Lake Michigan. This is 100% on Northwestern. Ohio State did nothing wrong. I Any team playing in those conditions that day, it would have just been a toss up. I mean, and Ohio State ended up winning by 14 points. It's not like it ended up even really being close score wise at the end. But yeah, I mean, the first half was a little yikes. It was, it was, a, it makes, I think the evaluation for the Ohio State Michigan game at the end of the season becomes fascinating. There is going to be no game with people checking the weather forecast more often than that game. Because if you get inclement weather, advantage Michigan. Like they're just built different yeah. than Ohio State is up front, at least offensively right now, right? Ohio State's offensive line is asked to pass protect a ton. It's like old Peyton Manning offensive line to bring in Jeff Saturday. They go out there and they pass protect a ton and they run outside zone. If you're going to ask them to beat someone up up the middle, especially a Michigan's team, that Mozzie Smith kid that they've got in the middle, terrifying. He's a force of nature. No 330-pound man should be able to jump 44 (laughs) inches and bench 325 22 times. It's terrifying force of nature. They're going to try and make it ugly in the middle, and if the weather gives them an opportunity to slow down that Ohio State passing game, all of a sudden Michigan's got a chance two years in a row to make that game really mean something again. Well, Mike, it's been fun uh, listening to you fill in for your dad. We haven't had to deal with any technical issues on your end. Your microphone was plugged in. Um, (laughs) There were no like weird sound effect things happening in the background. Ruffling of papers is usually one of the things your dad does a lot. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed having you on Golic Jr. and Smeddy Special Edition. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts before we let you go? Where can people listen to your podcast? 
Yeah, obviously, I uh, appreciate you having me, Jess. This was a joy. Uh, the the paper shuffling really tugs at my heartstrings because it is my <laughs> dad's favorite pastime is to just murder trees relentlessly during football season. <laughs> um, everyone, uh, download, subscribe, rate, review, Gojo, wherever you get your podcast. We're five days a week. We are in the DraftKings family along with Golik and Smeddy, uh, proud teammates here. Uh, we're on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well uh, under the Gojo with Michael Jr. tab and as I've shamelessly mentioned a couple of times, college football Saturday night powered by Learfield. Uh, every Saturday night, we are on the road, me and Sloan Martin and the crew uh, going around. You can download the Varsity app and listen to us there. We're on radio affiliates all across the country. We post a stream on Twitter of our booth cam so you can watch me put my leg up on the desk. and Which I love, so- by the way. I, I, I've watched it a few times, Mike. It's always entertaining. You guys are a fun crew to watch. We, we, we're eating donuts in the booth. I'm yes, shouting always. about deer and God knows what else going on in the game. So it's a good time. Check it out. Well, thanks for joining and I'll, I'll see your dad next week. Sounds good. You can tell him he's been replaced. <laughs> I'm keeping you. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.